even imagine what they're going through right now so my thoughts and and prayers are with you guys out there and i'll tell you what a trip to pennsylvania is never going to be the same for me so again this episode is dedicated uh to dave dragason and uh yeah he's actually uh coming up on a, a tv show that uh, will be coming out pretty soon uh so dave dave has gotten his name out there and he's uh you know he deserved he deserved it. He's a fantastic gentleman, and it's really really heartbreaking to uh, to, to have received this news. But ah, man, I tell you, it's 2020. Just when you think you know things can't get worse, you get kicked in the chest with something else. But uh, man, oh man, I tell you, it's just uh, hard news all around. Everywhere you're turning, it seems like. Um, so speaking of Bigfoot. Let's jump into cryptid news for the week, July 28th. And I tell you what, you know, let's let's do some sports. Let's do some sports here. So um, we don't really talk sports here on the show. Not too much in the way of cryptid stuff. Um, but uh, got a little cryptid news in, in the world of sports. And... Uh, Big announcement during the week. Uh, if you've, I'm sure you've probably seen this. December of 2018, the city of Seattle was granted an expansion hockey team for the professional hockey organization known as the National Hockey League, NHL. July 23rd, it was officially announced, or should I say released, that the team would be named the Seattle Kraken. Uh, many fans were hoping for the team to be named the Metropolitans in a nod to the first professional team created in 1915. That was the first, uh, actually the first United States-based team to win the Stanley Cup. And uh, some also wanted the name to be a little bit more attached to the city, like Sockeye or Totems. I don't know, that sounds cool, but you, we're talking about hockey here. Um I've, I thought it was a really wise choice for a professional hockey organization to go Kraken. And yes, they're going with Kraken, not Kraken. I think that's going to be a mistake, but that's just uh, my opinion. Um, I mean, you, I, I don't know. It's just a lot of things you could do with Kraken. Uh, anyway, uh, and the, the Kraken, Kraken, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's one of the oldest ocean-based cryptids in folklore. Well, next to mermaids, which is pretty much the oldest. And uh, recently been revealed to actually exist, well, to a certain extent, which uh, makes all this news even more cool. And of course, in the NHL, they're not the only cryptid-themed team. In the uh, 1974 expansion team, the Kansas City Scouts, moved to Denver in 1976 to become the Colorado Rockies. I know that's a baseball team now. Uh, then the franchise moved to New Jersey in 1982 and then became the New Jersey Devils. Uh, here in Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio, which uh, is 
pretty close to where I'm broadcasting live tonight. Uh, we have an American Hockey League team, which uh, essentially that's like the minor leagues of the NHL, uh, the AHL. Uh, the team is named the Cleveland Monsters, and the name is based off the water cryptid known as Bessie, the Lake Erie Monster, who is thought to live in Lake Erie which is pretty cool to go to those games. Uh, they got a pretty cool logo. Um, and they're the AHL team to the NHL Columbus Blue Jackets, which is, I guess you could say my home team. They're over two hours away from here, but I, I guess that's the closest NHL team to where I'm at. Actually, I guess Pittsburgh would probably be a little closer, but let's not go down that road. Uh, a few years ago, I was uh, actually at a Monsters game, and they were playing the Grand Rapids Griffins, which is pretty cool to see. Um, the NHL has uh, the Florida Panthers, which is uh, they feature a typical Florida Panther. But the NFL, National Football League, well, they have the Carolina Panthers, which features a Black Panther, which those aren't supposed to exist in the United States. But anytime you say that, you get 10 people that uh, swear up and down they've seen one. So I guess that's your paranormal sports roundup for the uh, for the week, and the Seattle uh, Krakens will debut during the twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two season. That's so weird to say twenty twenty one. Yeah, so next year, and uh, they debuted their logo, which is sweet, very sweet. Their colors and their uh, uniforms for for next year which is uh it's all pretty cool and uh hopefully the nhl will be back uh hopefully they'll have a little bit better luck than the major league baseball is having right now with uh covid19 but uh we shall see and if you're interested in checking out the logo i'm going to drop or should i say release the uh, a link in the chat room so release the kraken there it is and uh it's got a bigfoot and a big story that's been out of new york uh out of hudson valley new york it's been all over the place with uh, cryptid news the last few days uh so there's a report of a woman being chased in the hudson valley area in new york and uh, it's just hit the, the news uh, a few days ago. And the alleged alleged incident happened in Hyde Park in New York, which is about 90 miles north of New York City along the Hudson River. Uh, Gail Beatty of Bigfoot Researchers of the Hudson Valley recently shared a purported experience of a woman who claimed to have a violent encounter with Bigfoot back on July 2nd of this year. The woman claimed the creature was between six and seven feet tall and that it came running toward her. And she heard the bushes parting along with heavy footsteps. She then stated the creature jumped into the tree above her and then began to jump tree to tree, causing branches and other debris to rain down on her. That's pretty strange. Uh, you don't really hear about Bigfoot jumping up into a tree and jumping tree to tree. That sounds more like, 
Yes, uh, Dita beat me to it. Sounds like a monkey. Sounds like chimpanzee behavior, uh, more so than gorilla-type behavior, which they don't go into trees. Um, Beatty's account was shared via Facebook on July 21st and was quickly swooped up by the local media. And then it, uh, it's pretty much nationwide at this point. Uh, she states that the woman was working as a landscaper who was told to dump weeds down a trail about 200 feet behind a barn. Um, after dumping the weeds is when the encounter began. She stated that the woman said, quote, the creature then began using its arms to swing from tree to tree, moving away from her. She described it as a very large uh, and moving through the trees like a monkey. She said she got a good look at the back of the reddish brown beast that she estimated at six to seven feet tall with long arms, unquote. Uh, so that's a pretty big monkey to be six or seven feet tall. Uh, but uh, interesting that she's describing the movement as being like a monkey. So maybe her perspective was was messed up. Maybe it was a monkey. Would be the first time that... Uh, Something like that was encountered in the woods. It's not out of the question. When we talk about uh, uh, alligators and other uh, large cats getting out of enclosures, you know, a lot of people have uh, exotic pets. Uh, New York is pretty tough on that, though, uh, lately. But who knows? It could. Uh, it's possible that it uh, could be a monkey on the loose, or maybe she did see. Bigfoot. Uh, she states that she's also waiting for a follow-up interview with the woman who is said to have been getting sick since that encounter. Beatty states that she's uh, there have been several sightings in the area, uh, which leads her to believe there is a clan living in the area. So I didn't know a group of Bigfoot is called a clan. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. That's the official thing, I guess, now. Uh, the area of the setting has not been released, nor has any other details of this case so far. But it's interesting how a Facebook post um, in this day and age uh, just gets wheels and it, it just goes nationwide as a story, even though it's a uh, kind of a, a third party story here. So I don't know. Not sure what to believe on that one. But it's an interesting uh, sighting. And yeah, that part of uh, New York is, is pretty heavy from what I understand from some researchers that I know in that neck of the woods. But uh, I don't know. You, you got to take every sighting with uh, the grain of salt. And uh, I don't know. You, you just It would be interesting to hear from this person again. But it seems like it's been... Uh, so I don't know how, how many days it's been since the interview, but, uh, you know, 20 some odd days over three weeks until actually getting to interview somebody is quite a long time, but, uh, hopefully she can interview her again and, uh, get down to, you know, the, uh, the details on this case to find out ex exactly what happened and if these details are exactly what she says. So speaking of Bigfoot, you know, New York sounds like a pretty decent place to find Bigfoot. So 
where else are you likely to find Bigfoot? And where does New York rank on the states in the United States to find Bigfoot? And where do these sightings rank for each state according to population data? Well, the Bigfoot sighting data for the story was provided by the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, BFRO. Uh, you probably know them from a, a TV show. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Uh, Finding Bigfoot was on the was on TV for a little while, a couple of years, right? Um, yeah, a long time, actually. And the population data was provided by the U.S. government's census data. And the crunching of all this numbers and data was done by the company that you want to call if you find Bigfoot and he needs to stay connected to his friends and family Yes, that's the folks at SatelliteInternet.com. They've done the math and they've put everything together, including a really nice infographic, which I'm going to share in the chat room. It's it's uh, pretty interesting. A lot of work here. It looks like they spared no expense on this uh, infographic. It looks pretty neat. Uh, so I'll throw that in there. shows you the number of sightings per state in the United States. There it is. How pretty is that? It's all color-coded. It's got Bigfoot walking up there, up north. It's got one foot in uh, Montana, one foot there in uh, Washington. Pretty cute. Uh, it kind of gives a, a, we're so used to seeing the United States with uh, color-coded uh, more or less colors. Obviously, the darker the colors, uh, the heavier anything. It's usually never good news. But this is, I think this is pretty good news. Nothing to worry about about Bigfoot sightings. Um. So we see, let's see, the number one state to find a Bigfoot, according to the total number of reports, is the state of Washington, which has 676 reports. Um, I'm not sure what the time range is. I'm kind of guessing these are all time reports by the BFRO and uh, not 2020, which the infographic as well as a headline kind of uh, seems to indicate it says uh, states with the most Bigfoot sightings in 2020. Well, I don't think there's been that many reports in 2020. So I'm thinking that's all time. Uh, the second most number of cases comes from the most populated state and the place where the term Bigfoot was born, along with the famous Patterson-Gimlin film. Yes, that's California, which had 445 reports. Uh, Florida is third with 328 reports, followed by Ohio with 302. Uh, Illinois had 296. Oregon had 254. Texas, 246. Michigan had 220. And the home of Momo the Monster, Missouri, uh, turned in 154. So if we look at... Uh, sightings per 100,000 people, which is kind of how I do my UFO stuff uh, each month. Uh, Washington wins again. Great job, Washington. Uh, they have an 8.9 reports per 100,000 people, or basically one in 11,264. So this is the best place to find Bigfoot statistically. Uh, the state of Oregon was next with six per 100,000 people, or one in 16,605. 
And West Virginia was third with 104 reports and 5.8 sightings per 100,000 people. Uh, Idaho was fourth with 93 reports and 5.2 per 100,000. The next few states were Montana with 52 reports and a 4.9 per capita. Wyoming had 28 reports, which uh, doesn't sound like much, but uh, sure stretches out when there's only like 100 people in Wyoming. Uh, It's 4.8. Well, it's more than 100. 4.8 per 100,000. Arkansas had 108 reports with 3.6 per 100,000. Alaska, 22 reports. Not very many for how big that state is. And uh, three per 100,000 is the per capita. So where are you least likely to find Bigfoot? Other than your kitchen, probably. Uh, Well, Nevada. Nevada had nine sightings and just a point three sightings per 100,000 people. That's not even like your pinky fingernail of a person. Uh, Followed by Rhode Island with five reports and a point five also with 0.5 sightings per 100,000 people is Connecticut. But uh, they had 18 sightings. Delaware had five sightings. Uh, So the next time you're searching for Bigfoot, make sure you stay connected with a mobile hotspot and contact satelliteinternet.com for help. Sounds like I'm reading a commercial. Well, uh, in the story, I also see they did the, uh, they did the same research with UFO sightings from uh, January 2019 to June of this year using data from the National UFO Reporting Center. So we might be talking about that tonight. I don't know. See if we got time for that. So, yeah, big thanks to SatelliteInternet.com. Get the uh, link copied and pasted. So um, it's an extra little bonus you get from being live in the chat room other than getting to hang out with some fantastic people in the chat room uh you get a sneak peek at links as well as some pictures and infographics and different things that i've uh, kind of put together sometimes and a little sneak peek behind the scenes of some of these stories an extra dimension if you will um but don't fear because during the week, I do put these links out through the Facebook page as well as the Twitter page. I guess you, you kids call that the socials. I don't know. I'm out of touch. Too old for that stuff. Um, but yeah, don't fear. If you if you like Facebook or you, you hate Facebook and you like Twitter, or vice versa, however it is for you, I get it. Uh, I do post it through Facebook, but it also goes through Twitter. So Para News Insider. Got to keep it short. Paranormal Paranormal News Insider is way too much to put on a Facebook page. So uh, facebook.com forward slash Insider. I guess you can just search for it, right? It's just 2020. Uh, and Twitter is at Insider. Uh, let's see. We've got a lot of stuff here in the cryptid uh, area here. A lot of stuff in this segment. So we have another one here. We're going to go out to... Loch Ness, but it's not your typical Loch Ness story. Uh, you know, when we talk about uh, breaking into locations in the paranormal, we tend to lean a little bit more toward the ghost hunter crowd. 
Uh, we, we hear these stories very frequently uh, in the news, uh, stories of breaking and entering, sometimes buildings burning down, uh, people getting arrested, uh, you know, all sorts of things. But in Scotland, Urquhart Castle has been closed since March, obviously due to COVID-19, but apparently that's not been stopping people from using the area as a vantage point to search for the Loch Ness Monster. Well, I'm sure they're in there for other reasons, but it's also a, a very nice vantage point. One of the top areas for, for Loch Ness Monster sightings over the years. Uh, Nessie is an important story for the area. Uh, we talk about this every time there's a big Loch Ness Monster story. It generates a lot of revenue from tourism to the area. Uh, locals have... Uh, actually been calling the police as well as photographing tourists who have been ignoring signs posted. They're climbing fences and uh, they're running amok in Urquhart Castle uh, as well as the grounds. So I, I don't know why they don't have like security or something out there watching. Uh, at one point, one resident stated that as many as 200 people made their way onto the grounds by climbing fences. Most of them were not wearing face masks or practicing social distancing. Were they holding hands going over the fence? I don't know. Uh, but I think illegal entry on private property, probably the bigger story here uh, with that um, social distancing. They probably know each other if they're willing to climb a fence and uh, illegally enter private property together. You don't usually do that kind of stuff with complete strangers. Not that I do that very often anymore. Um, just a guess, just a hunch. So officers arrived after being called, but were apparently unable to find any trespassers on the property. 200 people. You couldn't find anybody. Find that hard to believe. Uh, good news. Urquhart Castle, uh, which dates to the 13th century. Um, it's going to be opening soon. Opening up uh, actually this Saturday. This coming Saturday. And a lot of people were fearful that those who broke in might have damaged the castle. It's, it's possible. It's a pretty old building. Uh, but yeah, it's go, set to reopen to the public this coming Saturday. Although tours, if you're going to go out there and you're going to tour Urquhart Castle, you got to book it in advance. Prices are just over, just over $12 per person. Uh, U.S., it's, it's a totally different number in the, in the U.K. It's like 8000 something or others no it's not that much uh unless uh, apparently you sneak out this week so if you want to avoid paying that 12 dollars, uh, just just head out there now and uh bring your climbing shoes and jump over the fence i don't know i've maybe they've electrified it i don't know uh, i'm not in favor of uh, people who trespass especially to a location like that i mean you should be ashamed of yourself and they should be held accountable I think it's just my opinion. So let me post that link in the, the chat. Maybe. Possibly. All right. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I'm not, uh, you know, I guess people just want to get out. And probably the majority of the people that were breaking and entering were actually from the United Kingdom. Uh, it's not like people here in the United States are. I guess some of them are. Some of them are really not all put together. Uh, people shouldn't really be out, you know, flying all over the country, all over the world. Uh, a lot of countries don't want uh, 
don't want Americans in their countries right now. I don't blame them um, at all, COVID or not, to be honest. But uh, very weird times that we're in. But I, I do think that the uh, the people were from the United Kingdom. Majority of people were breaking in, uh, not really thinking they're doing anything wrong, I'm sure. Uh, and since we're on the topic of the Loch Ness Monster, well, it's official. The sixth official sighting of the Loch Ness Monster is in the books. And it officially occurred on July 8th, and it's the first of the year it's actually happened in person. So the first five sightings of the year of the Loch Ness Monster happened via the Loch Ness webcam. A webcam. And uh, you've probably heard my feelings on those sightings. None of them uh, were very good at all. None of them were very good at all. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty junky sightings. And, I mean, it just you could barely make things out on all this. Uh, but this new sighting, the sixth sighting, which uh, occurred on July 8th, happened near Fort Augustus when 35-year-old Ross Macaulay spotted something large in the water about 100 yards away from a pair of kayakers Good grief. So what did he did? He run down the 200 feet to the road uh, down to the water's edge to warn the kayakers to say, hey, look out. There's this giant creature headed your way. No, no, of course he didn't. Uh, he whipped out his phone and started filming. That's pretty much what anybody else would do, right? Who cares about the lives of others when I can get something that'll go viral. That's the mentality. Uh, just like the other settings of this year, the Loch Ness Monster is uh, pretty its pretty embarrassing. You can't even tell what it is. It's, it's like a fleck of white in the water. Uh, it's filmed with a digital zoom, and it seems like it's a mile away. It really does. It seems like it's, I don't know. You, you can't even really, I mean, the initial filming looks really good, and then the more it zooms, uh, the worse it gets. And then it gets to the point of, what am I looking at? Uh, and, of course, there is the exciting, always exciting, red circle. Uh, so, yeah, there it is. That's startling. Looking at that picture from the Scottish sun. I mean, I, I don't know if I can sleep tonight looking at that picture of the Loch Ness Monster. I don't, I don't know. You, you might not want your kids to look at that picture. It's it's just, I, I might be scarred for life. Look at that. Just spooky. Uh, yeah, I don't see anything either. I, it's like a, a fleck of white. If you put your nose on the screen, you can kind of see a fleck of white. But uh, yeah, if you got to put a red circle around something in a picture, it's probably not worth sharing. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, however, the story says that uh, Ross and his friends were completely baffled. And baffled is my favorite word. It seems like when uh, they can't really sell a story in the newspapers, they can't really figure out, uh, you know, it's it's really not even worth talking about. They throw the word baffled in there as to make it sound even more confusing than what it really is. Um uh, 
Yeah, they were baffled, all right. Uh, he estimates the creature to be about 12 feet long. So of his encounter, Ross stated, quote, there were a couple of kayakers, uh, but 100 yards ahead of them was something below the surface. At first, I thought it was a big rock under the water, and I just carried on driving. Then I thought, there's never been a rock there before. So curiosity got the better of me. I turned around and parked by long lay by. Whatever that is. Uh, the object had moved. It was now out in the middle of the lock. The kayakers were much further behind. The creature must have done 400 yards in a minute against the wind. It started, I started filming for five minutes. There was no long neck, no head, just the hump bit. I would say it was about 12 feet long and four feet wide. At its widest, it was light gray, and it went under the water, then up, and then disappeared, unquote. Uh, so Ross says he's lived his entire life around the lock, and he is a tree feller and fencer for the forestry and land Scotland. So he's he knows his way around. He's seen this stuff. Uh, he's been... Uh, around the lock a lot. So one of his statements is that the kayakers were about 100 yards from the creature. And looking on a map, uh, well, well, Google Maps, of course, I can estimate where the object, the kayakers, and even Ross, where he was, uh, not sure exactly where he was, but I can kind of estimate by the distance, or I should say the angle that you can see the buildings in this picture kind of draw a line uh, from there and from one corner of the building to the other corner and pretty much get a line. I can tell pretty close to where he's at, uh, give or take, uh, you know, a few yards or a few, maybe a dozen or so yards, but it's not too, I mean, I didn't spend too much time with this, but kind of from there, you can kind of tell where the kayakers are and you can also tell pretty much where this creature is. And I would say that uh, at closest, when you first see this picture, uh, or I should say the video, actually, the kayakers and the object were well over 600 yards away from each other. And if you look at the the video in the beginning picture, which I think I have that picture in here, um, it's it's that distance is huge. You know, it looks a lot smaller because you're looking at you know, at an angle of these things, but he's pretty far away from the water's edge. And you can't really see the creature in that picture, but um, you can see the kayakers there. There's a tree uh, up pointing toward into the water. The kayakers are right at the end of that tree on the right-hand side. And then uh, you can see there's a, uh, a white object about center, top part of the water. And you draw a diagonal line about 45 degrees from that the uh, that white area that white creatures out there somewhere it's hard to tell uh, pretty much I, I don't know how he spotted it with the naked eye but apparently uh, it was a lot better to see out there than it was through this camera now another statement is that the object was moving 400 yards in a minute i love math uh, so this translates to 100 yards every 15 seconds Makes sense so far. Um, 
you know, 30 seconds for 200 yards, so on and so forth, uh, equals about 6.7 yards per second. And you can translate that to 13.7 miles per hour. You know, that's not amazingly fast for a fish. Uh, certainly not like a great white shark, which is way more than that. Or, you know, a lot of fish can sprint at that, at that speed or faster. Uh, and if it's underwater, the wind really doesn't make any difference. Uh, but it's pretty, pretty slow for a boat. If it's a power boat or even a small, uh, it could be a small fishing boat that's smaller than those kayaks. Some kayaks are pretty big. Um, not to mention, again, those kayaks are very close compared to anything that's on the opposite shore of this part of the lock. Um, but then again, you know, if you can't judge the distance between the object and the kayakers, how can we accept that measurement or any measurements? Uh, either way, whatever Ross saw during the sighting, well, unfortunately, it doesn't translate to the video. So we have no idea what the object was or what it even might have been Unfortunately, just like a majority of the Loch Ness Monster sightings recently, pretty much the last, I don't know, 30 years, 20 years or so, it's just been really difficult. Uh, anything that's like a mile away, people uh, in Scotland seem to freak out about. But of course, you know, again, it's all about tourism. It's all about getting people to, uh, to come out and look for the Loch Ness Monster himself or themselves to... Uh, to get another sighting to continue to push the Loch Ness Monster uh, here in folklore. But, yeah, this one, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it at all. And last but not least, an update on a story from a few weeks ago. And I love it when a – and I've been watching the story – I'm pretty close. You know, I've been looking uh, every few days. I'll look for information, a new, a uh, new uh, a link to this, or some new information coming out. But uh, I love it when a story is finally put to rest, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. I used to keep a book that I would write down all these stories that were never really discovered what the the ending was. It got to be so many stories; it was just so hard to keep up keep track with, but uh, I love it when they, they're actually solved. So back in June of this year, I reported on two five-foot-long alligators that were stolen from a Manhattan reptile world, not in New York, but in Manhattan, Kansas, back on June 5th. One of the alligators was found within days and trapped, although sadly the trap fell into the water where the alligator later drowned. On July 2nd, the Riley County Police Department responded to a call of an alligator along Wildcat Creek where the first five-foot alligator was first captured. Now, this report by animal control officers estimated the alligator to only be about three to three and a half feet long, which that was too short to be the one, the second one that was missing by Reptile World. Uh, but now they realize that this estimate was inaccurate. And they had let that alligator uh, stay stay free, didn't uh, attempt to, to capture it. They didn't think that it was a uh, threat to anybody. And so they just let it swim around, which is not cool in my book. I, I think you got to make some sort of effort to capture this thing. Uh, it will grow longer. It will grow bigger. And it will grow uh, to, you know, 
And, you know, a little bit larger. You know, if it's three and a half feet, it could grow almost to four feet in a few months. Uh, but still, uh, if this thing attacks somebody or, uh, you know, got somebody's dog or, you know, even just scaring somebody, I mean, three and a half feet alligator is really not that big. But do you really expect to see one when you're in Kansas? No, you don't. Uh, usually you don't. Uh, but luckily, last Thursday, 22-year-old Hunter Cragg was working on a bridge replacement project on Fort Riley Boulevard with the Ebert Construction Group when he noticed an alligator sunning itself on the bank of Wildcat Creek. Someone called Joe Wood, who was one of the owners of Reptile World, who arrived on scene and attempted to lure the alligator with food. And uh, this is the first time I heard this. I didn't know this. The alligator's name is Beauregard. So they attempted to allure Beauregard with some bait so they could move in and grab it. Well, this didn't work. And eventually, Craig waded into the water and caught the alligator by following Wood's advice. Craig said, quote, I figured the man just needed some help. And I guess I just wasn't too scared of the gator. I wanted to be helpful and thought, say, once in a lifetime experience catching an alligator in Manhattan, Kansas. So I thought I'd just give it a try. Unquote. Uh, and he got it. Duct taped the mouth and everything. So everything's safe. The alligator is okay. Uh, Manhattan Reptile World reported on their Facebook page that Beauregard, Beauregard, I've ever met anybody named Beauregard, uh, was safe and sound back in the store after his adventure. And uh, I think we got some pictures. We got some pictures. I think we got some pictures. Let's see. Beauregard. There he is. Well, I'll show you the one. Here's uh, actually being rescued. Whoops. So there's actually a shows him being swooped up here in the water. It doesn't look five feet to me. Uh, when you look at that, uh, I guess he could be five feet. Pretty close. Pretty skinny looking dude. I mean the alligator, not the dude. He, he looks... Like he probably works out a little bit. Um, there he is, Beauregard. But uh, again, he's also in his enclosure, so I got a picture of that. Now, well, that's just the Facebook post. And, uh, you know, it's again, it's fantastic. There it is, uh, Manhattan Reptile World. Uh, states very happy to announce that our alligator Beauregard has been captured out of Wildcat Creek and is now safely back home at the store. Poor guy. Um, so the two alligators uh, had actually, I don't know what her name was, but unfortunately the female alligator uh, was captured back in June, but the, uh, the trap fell into the water. I think it was in the early morning hours, and unfortunately, the, the alligator drowned. Um, but the two alligators were rescued from homes in Kansas City and Manhattan and were kept to educate people on reptiles. And uh, so far, we don't know who kidnapped them or 
gator nap them uh, out of the reptile world store or how that all happened. Um, and the story created a lot of needed distraction for Manhattan as bars were serving cocktails called Gatorade. And don't worry, it was spelled differently than that sports drink. And there were talks of changing the Manhattan High School mascot to an alligator. It's a little bit of local frenzy, uh, but probably nothing much uh, in the way of what it was for Chance the Snapper last year. Um, but uh, kind of a feel-good story to an extent. Unfortunately, one of the alligators uh, died, uh, but at least one was rescued. And it's it's just, you know, to highlight again, you know, how many stories we're seeing and hearing about about loose alligators in the Northeast. That's a little scary. Uh, really, I don't uh, I don't know about that. Why we're seeing so many, but. You know, if you, you can't take care of an alligator, you can't take care of a, a reptile, uh, don't dump it into a pond. It's a death sentence. Give it up. Give it to contact somebody and let them know, hey, look, I have this. I can't take care of it. Usually, if you do the right thing, you're not going to pay a fine. You're not going to get arrested or anything like that. Uh, usually, worst case, you're just going to lose that, that animal. Uh, but it's better off in the hands of somebody that uh, can actually take care of it instead of somebody who got in way over their head and decided to uh, chuck it into a creek. Again, it's going to die. Well, this this alligator would have died um, probably in October, September, October maybe. It depends on when the water started getting cold in Kansas. Uh, but again, it's always nice to put a story to rest. And speaking of putting it to rest, that is your cryptid news for the week now let's turn the page to ufo news and i tell you i'm still kind of getting used to seeing ufo stories that are trending in mainstream media you know cnn and uh, all these science websites you know seeing ufo stories trending uh it's so weird and and ufo is being taken seriously not just a punchline so it's it's weird um, but I, I guess I'm kind of getting used to it. And you might have noticed lately there's been some headlines that read something similar to the one on uh, Entrepreneur. An entrepreneur says, uh, Pentagon's UFO program may make some findings public. Uh, the New York Times ran a story titled, No Longer in the Shadows, Pentagon's UFO unit will make some findings public. But, uh, you know, is, is there any new information in these stories? No. No, it's uh, pretty much exactly what I talked about uh, almost a month ago on the show. Uh, a little bit of stirring of the pot and talking about what might be and um, lawmakers wanting information about unidentified aerial phenomena, information being pushed out to the general public instead of sat on for years and, com and or completely ignored. Um, but... You know, I have to stress, this doesn't mean that the United States or anyone else in the government feels uh, that we're being visited by aliens. It's not really the point of these stories, even though they're saying UFOs. Uh, they're saying UFO in the context that these are unidentified flying objects. We don't know what they are, uh, where they're from. Uh, they could be from China. They could be from Russia. They could be our technology. We just don't know it because... 
you know, certain levels of people have a need to know basis on things. And sometimes uh, pilots that are out filming these things don't know and their superiors may not even know either that they belong to us. So you never know what the uh, what could be behind all this. And I've been reading a lot of different stories about these uh, latest round of stories and some people are kind of under the impression and I, I think it's interesting to note that um, these stories might be being pushed out uh, for a different agenda and it's maybe because of our space force and maybe to get funding for said space force and and to kind of uh, uh, you know look at uh, Russia's launches of nuclear weapons in space and, and different things like that. So I think there's something a little bit more outside the lines than thinking that aliens are zipping around our atmosphere, uh, which is what a lot of people who are following these stories want to want to think and want to feel. Uh, but I think there's a lot more to this. Uh, the government is using this story, using the popularity of it for uh, something else. You know, uh, some other agenda. Uh, there's no way that it's just going to randomly, continuously appear in the in the news for nothing. Uh, but it seems like it's I don't know, just circulating for no good apparent reason. Over and over and over. So, um, did I skip the? I didn't put the. Uh, I didn't put the alligator link in the chat room. Sheesh. Let me go back and do that real quick. And I'll catch up on links. So again, if um, you're not listening live and you're listening to this as an archive, uh, or you're listening live but you're not in the chat room, you're missing out. I tell you every week, and uh, I don't see you. Well, maybe I saw you, uh, but uh, yeah, you'll get the links quicker. And and this isn't always the same links uh, that uh, all the paranormal. News sites uh, pump to. Uh, I got a UF. I got one of these too. I'll throw that in there. Uh, it's not always the the main sites because sometimes the the most popular site that you read uh, isn't the original one. Sometimes it's watered down by somebody else. And uh, articles are always launched by one person or another, or one organization or another, and then copycatted by everybody. And sometimes the copycatters add or subtract things and. They do different things with these stories. So I try to get to the originals, which are uh, not so sliced and diced. And uh, let's see, what else we got? So, well, earlier in the show, I talked about Bigfoot sightings here in the United States. Thanks to the folks at SatelliteInternet.com. Can't forget those guys and girls. Uh, I also mentioned that they had some statistics about UFO sightings and the best states to see them. Uh, granted, uh, you guys are lucky. You get to hear my monthly MUFON or Mutual UFO Network sighting statistics breakdown. So you get a decent idea. I do the same thing with the per capita data information. Um, so they use data from January of 2019 through June of 2020 from the National UFO Reporting Center, also known as New Fork. And then broke it down, again, like I do with the state population, per 100,000 people. And just like MUFON's data, California leads uh, with the most UFO sightings in that span of time with 700 
and 52. Florida is second with six, uh, I'm sorry, 567. Washington had 386. Texas uh, had 375, but uh, they ranked the states not by the number of sightings, but uh, by the sightings per capita, or again, per 100,000 people. So how many reports per 100,000 people? Because, you know, California can have so many sightings. But again, there's more people. There's a larger population in that state. So how does that rack up against a state with a smaller population? Uh, you know, and that's the, the thing behind the per capita data. And that's why you see uh, per capita data broken down for a lot of different statistics and in, in all things outside of the paranormal. And... Uh, So that being said, Idaho is the number one state with 164 sightings, but a 9.18 per capita. That's uh, amazing. I don't know if I've ever had one that high for the MUFON sighting statistics. I'm sure I'd have to go back and look through data, but uh, it's pretty rare to see something that big. Uh, Montana is second with 98 sightings and a 9.17. New Hampshire is third with 107 sightings. And a 7.87. Maine has 97 sightings and a 7.22 per capita. And so California, with this impressive number of sightings, impressive, uh, 752 sightings. Huge. Uh, They finished 45th on the list, number 45, with a 1.9 sightings per 100,000 people. Uh, Florida. Florida also has a large population. Uh, They finished with uh, 36th with a 2.64 per capita. Uh, Washington finished in at number nine with 5.07 per capita per 100,000. And Texas finished dead last with 1.29 despite at 375 sightings. Yikes. Uh, the article also offers a bit of advice for newbie UFO hunters. As it says, uh, quote, planets are also sometimes mistaken for UFOs. You can get to know the stars and planets with apps like SkyMap, NASA, or Starwalk 2, so you don't file a report on Venus. Another common error is mistaking a Starlink satellite chain for a UFO, which has happened quite a bit lately. Uh, keep up on Starlink launches by checking out the satellite launch schedule so you don't make these newbie mistakes, unquote. Uh, so, so, yeah, again, thanks to the folks at SatelliteInternet.com for all that great data and information. And... Uh, uh, question in the chat room. Am I going to be doing the MUFON reports? Well, I don't see why not. Uh, I mean, we had the uh, startling uh, startling uh, news report just out of nowhere. I, I was just amazed, like shocked to hear this. I, I didn't see it coming uh, about Jan Harzan, who was arrested on uh, felony charges uh, attempting to, to allure a 13-year-old. Wow, just wow. But, you know, it's it was, uh, you know, him doing it. That wasn't the organization doing it. So, 
you know, MUFON's got a lot of troubles, but, uh, you know, they've uh, kicked him off the board of directors and removed him from anything and everything to do with that company, which they, they sh- probably should have done quicker. But, uh, you know, I don't hold that against MUFON, you know, his one person's actions. Uh, it's not their fault. Um, but uh, we uh, will see. I mean, I don't know if things are going to change within MUFON and they're not going to release data anymore. I don't know. I don't know if any of that's going to change on their end. But uh, on my end, I'm talking about my end for um, on my my end of the the the, the mic here. Uh, you know, I'll keep doing it as long as I'm getting the data. Um, oh, there it is. I wonder where that link went. So there is that link in the chat room. And last but not least, this is uh, kind of funny. I've been talking about this for a while. A uh, little bit of filler every now and again, but it's starting to grow to be a fairly decent story for the year. Um, and it, it really affects, you know, it's really only because of what's going on this year with COVID-19. Uh, I've been talking about the haunted house industry and how with COVID-19, there's a very, very small chance that people are going to get their typical haunted house experience, if anything close to that. Um, haunted houses across the country have canceled uh, their their typical uh, timeframes of, of opening in August or September. And, and a lot of them have said, we're not doing it this year. And it's... Uh, you know, it's a startling reality, and you know, we back in uh, during Easter, people were thinking, "Hey, we're going to go back to normal pretty soon, so let's hang out, have Easter dinner." Um, but uh, the stark reality of it here in the United States, of course, people not wanting to wear masks, which I still don't understand, and people gathering, uh, stores allowing hundreds of people to enter at the same time, just so many, uh, just call it mistakes. I'll call it what it is. It's a lot of mistakes. I uh, have really prolonged this here in the United States and, uh, you know, still a, a problem worldwide. So, you know, a lot of people have made the decisions to save the money on the front end instead of trying to open these things. I think they, they understand, they get it. Uh, this is not the right thing to do, and it's probably not going to happen even in October. Uh, so they've, uh, a lot of these have shut down. I've talked about a few of them here on the show uh, but then in June, I talked about Japan. They opened a drive-in haunted house experience. Sounds pretty cool. You just drive your car to this, like, it's basically a garage. So it's a drive-in haunted house experience. You drive it into the garage and uh, actors uh, play out. But whatever's going going on. So, um, But again, a lot of here in the United States are canceling left and right. But now... Orlando, Florida, of all places, has announced Haunted Road, Orlando's first immense, completely contactless uh, drive-through Halloween experience. What an original idea. Uh, they'll be hosting virtual auditions for actors in mid-August, and will have a Kickstarter campaign to allow people to get tickets in advance. And so far, it's said that tickets will be $15 per person. I don't know if they're going to charge per vehicle, but again, you know, you don't want 15, 20 people jammed in a car and you only 
charge fifteen dollars. But I don't see the problem with that. It's it's only one car. I don't know. Probably, probably why I don't own a business like that. But yeah, Orlando, Florida, starting this, and there's also not to be outdone. Splendora, Texas, has announced their drive-through haunted house experience called Haunted Drive 2020. And Splendora is uh, it's in East Texas, just northeast of Houston. That's a pretty big market of people, a very large market of people, actually. Um, so it looks like the drive through haunted house experience is starting to take off, starting to flourish here in the United States. It's only a matter of time till uh, places like Disney World or, you know, Universal Studios, which they just announced closing uh, their haunted house attraction last week as well. Uh, you know, how long is it until they're jumping on board with this or redesigning all of their stuff as well? I, I think time will tell. And it could alter how we experience haunted houses going forward. You know, we may never have. Well, I'm sure we'll have that experience again. Maybe next year. We'll see. The future is unwritten, and as we've learned this year, just when you think you know what's going on, everything changes. Yikes. So I'm not sure. I think we had a little bit of audio trouble at the beginning of this episode from what I've heard and read in the chat room. Uh, If that's the case, uh, reminder, this is July 28th show, episode 445, and this episode was dedicated to the life and research of Bigfoot researcher Dave Dragason, who passed away on July 23rd at age 71. And that's your show for the week. I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck. And always keep your mind at least slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.